Swagger, that's right. That's who I'm calling out today, Mister uh, Mock Swagger or Mrs. Mock Swagger. I don't know who that is. It's like a character from something. I don't really. I don't know. Does that sound familiar? Probably not, but it might because that was my very first call out on this stanky podcast. I actually had to go back and listen to uh, episode one to. Re- well, actually, that's not true. I didn't have to go back and listen to that because I remember. Why did I just lie about that? I didn't have to look up shit. I remember it just like it was yesterday. Mock Swagger, I'm calling you out. Uh, just making a joke. Uh, this is Haas Bossman with Breadsheet, this podcast. My fake name is Haas Bossman. My guest's fake name is Christy Yamaguchi Man today on the inaugural episode. And I had lost my voice the, when, right when I decided to start a podcast. And that's why uh, my voice sounds really weird in that. And I was using like a cheaper mic and stuff. You know, early days. Not really. Well, I guess it was technically cheaper, but a uh, good live mic. The, um, the Blue Encore 100. Uh, I don't even know if they make it anymore, but... Great alternative to the uh, famous SM58. Anyway, follow Mock Swagger on Twitter. They can be found at username at Marsan7375 underscore Mark. Uh, M-A-R-S-A-N 7375 underscore Mark. Follow them. And you can find me on Twitter at Haas underscore Bossman. And my, my guest today is a Tweetmaster General. He is at Wapple House. Uh, this is the return the, the revenge, many say, of Christy Yamaguchi Main, who was my very first guest on this show. In fact, he and many other Twitter fiends who um, you know I met as fans of the uh, Daily Zeitgeist podcast. Shout out to Zeitgang and uh, Poetry Crew in the group chat. Sorry, I only chime in like once a month in that chat. I do pay attention to it when I can because I love y'all. I want to know how everybody is. Um, but all these folks really encouraged me to do this podcast and stick with it, all that crap. So thank you sincerely to Mr. Yamaguchi Maine and the rest of that crew. Y'all the best. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Mock Swagger, I, I don't really see you tweeting that much anymore, Mock Swagger. Maybe you just got somehow aren't showing up in my timeline, but Mock Swagger is still online, so go uh, give them a follow. Anyhow, get stoked, y'all, because we Gucci today. the scenes bill gates is literally hopping around like a gremlin all right yes i'm actually going to make this a short intro to this breadsheet with me um haas bossman I'm walking! 
section of Revelations, actually. such thing as insanity among penguins. That's right, folks. I am back with a new episode, a new interview, a new outlook on life, really. I um, I must speak a bit on my guest here. I used to hear the name Christy Yamaguchi Main on the Daily Zeitgeist podcast all the time, which is a great daily progressive podcast about news and shit, uh, hosted by former editor-in-chief of Crack Jack O'Brien and this other hilarious, brilliant guy named uh, Miles Gray. They take submissions from listeners for AKAs to intro themselves with these hosts, you know, Christy. And uh, Christy was and remains the TDZ, AKA King. The the AKAs quickly snowballed into being like full songs, sometimes with backing music and everything. And Christy Yamaguchi Main can make a Weird Al-style, like silly parody you know, at least for one verse, like nobody's business. Sometimes he extends it into the choruses too. They can get kind of long. Well, maybe um, he can do it like Weird Al's business, not like nobody's business. Uh, and Cle- Cletus T. Judd, you know that is? Uh, he was like the country version of Weird Al. He had songs like, Did I Shave My Back For This? And uh, Every Light in the House Is Blown. Uh, crap like that. Well... In the two years since I've started this podcast, Mr. Yamaguchi Main has risen through the ranks of online celebrityhood, something we didn't really get to touch on too much in our interview. But, you know, I think you just go check him out. And it kind of goes without saying he's a tweet master general. Um, And now his tweets like they regularly blow up. His big claim to fame was a really funny tweet about Taco Bell, which I should uh, insert at least a robot voice reading it here. The Taco Bell drive-thru at 1 a.m. will have a $200,000 Mercedes S65 waiting right behind a 96 Cavalier that's never had the oil change followed by a moped written by three people. All craving the same thing, to live moss. Truly the last great melting pot of glass in this country. He apparently got some free merch for doing that tweet. And um, it's just been really awesome to see a, a talented, hilarious, genuinely good dude from you know what I know of him. I've interacted with him quite a bit over these last few years. Never met him in person, though. Um, but as soon as I get a, a band together or start performing live again in some capacity i'm definitely gonna um first first order of business book a show over in uh, wilmington and meet him and uh i don't know what other guys are local uh from his podcast uh the the um what's it called i named it so i should remember uh george center which uh i think i have a note here to bring that up later so sorry if i bring it up twice but uh it's good to see him get a little love for his uh brilliance so christy i hope you get internet famous enough to be able to quit your job soon you you really do deserve it um, okay, believe it or not, I am actually going to ramp up to Christie's theme song and interview right now. That's what I'm doing. So if you're a fan of my solo talking, believe it or not, some listeners actually do say that they like the long intros and the minisodes, and those people are in luck because I am going to release a solo minisode next. Uh, I have so much to say, and I've got it all like, you know, kind of bullet pointed out and ready to go pretty much, uh, and I just won't waste a lot of time with making other crap for that one because it's going to be, you know, it's going to be classic. So uh, I've got a lot of wisdom 
to dis- but to bestow upon y'all. Uh, but uh, I'll hold off and go ahead and edit the interview now uh, that I did with Chris Yamaguchi. I make some notes about stuff I want to clarify or expound upon, and I'll be back through the magic of editing in no time at all to do that. You know what? I- I'm not even really going to uh, edit this episode much i just i just listened to the whole thing through and it's pretty you know like i cut out a thing here and there uh there is one thing we never brought up uh the the fact that i named George center so um you know that's this wonderful podcast um that christy yamaguchi man does with his funny buds and uh I, uh, I'm honored that they used my name idea, but you know, to toot my own horn a bit, it, it is a pretty friggin' good title for a thing. And I think like, uh, Christy asked for, um, suggestions and, um, that, that might, I don't know if that was like a solo endeavor either. I might've like somebody else in the chat might've said something that inspired that, or, you know, I don't want to take all the credit, but it is a pretty good title for a thing. Anyway. Here we go. If you enjoy this chat, go back and check out episodes one and three of Breadsheet, as Mr. Yamaguchi Man is the guest on those as well. Um, and uh, really, you can sort of thank at Waffle House uh, for the whole every guest gets their own theme song gimmick that I do because I started talking about it being hot and taking my clothes off because I was recording in a closet. When we did our first episode, and he suggested I cut in some sexy pornish funk music during that uh, thus beginning my addiction to chopping up speech and putting it over some goofy ass music speaking of which i updated christy's song to include some of his podcasting work so here's that then the interview i'm at hoss underscore bossman on most social medias without the underscore on some i stream myself playing live music a roughly 50 50 mix of covers and original tunes and i'm gonna figure out how to stream with my looper pedal and stereo at some point soon and i think i'm almost there but uh you know, wait, who cares here's christy yamaguchi main or at waffle house on twitter's uh and this or on, on the twitters uh and this is his uh upgraded Breadsheet theme and my chat with him. I'll be back in the outro, outro to kiss your ass goodbye. Andrew Tate, yeah. You're gonna get into heaven before anybody else does. Andrew Tate. We're really buried the lead this week talking about all this bullshit. It's not sexy. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. Ding. As the great Mark Wahlberg said, I figured some shit out. I figured some shit, I figured some shit out. As the great Mark Wahlberg said. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. You can edit this out. You can edit this out. It is not sexy enough. Um, yeah, so... Where were we even talking about? I was talking about how you sold This is the British actual human being.
responsible for that. I would like to see the baby. All right, one, two, three. Perfect. That was pretty on time, I think. Yeah, if you line those up, it'll sound like we're having a conversation in the same room. It's beautiful. Hell yeah. Um, So nice. Yeah, I guess that's how uh, the... I always wondered, like, with the Zoom meetings, how they like compensated for lag and stuff. And then, you know, the that's it. It takes once you, once you line the claps up, it takes all of the lag out of there. It's great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, um, well let's, uh, you want to go ahead and get to, we did the clap. So I think yeah. we're, we're ready to, to get into it. Yeah. Let's do the um, hokey pokey now. <laughs> I, so, uh, I wanted to have you back on, you know, I'm pretty like, I've been pretty sparse with my episodes since I got a job and stuff. As um, as one as want to do, yeah, it happens. Life gets in the way with this shit, man. For sure, but that any uh, sheet heads who have uh, started listening since the first couple episodes, um, Christy Yamaguchi Main was the very first breadsheet guest. Really, like helped get the show off the ground, and I much very much appreciate that. It was an honor, um, and it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was a good. I see you're in a closet. Um, yeah, that's where mm-hmm. I was. I was in a closet when I recorded that episode. Um, yeah, and I've kinda... I was not. I was sitting out in uh in my bedroom with my iPhone on a little tripod and a <laughs> microphone sticking out the bottom of it. And so I have upgraded to an actual laptop and an actual microphone and headset and everything. I think that uh, I think that microphone you used in the first episode too was like not connected or something or like it was like the phone audio or something picking it up, but it actually came out sounding pretty decent. So. It didn't sound bad if it wasn't. It wasn't the greatest microphone. It was literally like this little portable one that you stick in the bottom of the iPhone port. So it's oh. not. We're not talking about like a microphone. Mic. I mean. <laughs> I guess it is, It's but it's like more for like if you're reporting on the street or something, trying to get sound or audio that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Was it one of those little stereo ones that like has two little thingies? It's, yes, I think it is. Yep, yep, that's okay. exactly. Like you take the little uh, cover off of it and it's got the things pointing in the opposite directions, yep. Oh yeah, I forgot we're not doing a podcast and I just did a complete visual. <laughs> you know, the little thingy, it's like a scissor. Yep, yep, or yep. Um, <laughs> So... Uh, I, I've been listening to, uh, your podcast pretty, I probably, you know, I probably heard like 70% of the episodes y'all have done on, um, uh, George Center. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like it. Like, where did you, I, maybe I didn't like pay attention early on when y'all maybe talked about this. What, how do you know those guys? Are those guys all just like your buddies? Pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when, when I wanted to do, I had an idea for like kind of the format I wanted to do for that show, which it's, there is a format, but it's also like very formatless where we just bring one thing that we want to talk about. And most of the time it's like evergreen subject matter so that you can go back and always listen to them and not really have to be like, remember a time or place that the episode existed in originally. 
Uh, so yeah, those dudes are just like Josh. I've known since sixth grade, Ryan, I met probably in like 2003, 2004, something like that. Uh, worked with him at Walden books at the mall originally. Um, and I came in wearing like a Mastodon hoodie, uh, one day and he got real stoked because I was the only other person there that listened to metal or any kind of heavy music. So we became buddies. Um, and then Dan and Vic, we had some mutual friends but in uh, uh in community college we all signed up for a class called rock ensemble which is exactly what it sounds like which is like a music class where you come in and uh, the teacher finds out what instrument you're good at and then assigns you songs to perform and to learn and then you play them as a band and you get a credit for it and it's like the best excuse to go to class that there could possibly be um so then at the end of the semester we performed i think live and love and made uh red house by Jimi hendrix uh breaking the law by judas priest and something else i can't remember the fourth one so yeah it was just a semester of like of of rehearsals basically it's just band practice for class dude that's that's awesome i should really do you know i teach high school i should uh pitch that this year i'm doing a um i'm really excited about this uh you know, even though I'm not like a professional audio production person, I've learned enough about making a podcast. Plus, you know, my just over the just accumulate experience every time yeah, you go in the yeah, studio yeah. or whatever. Um, and I've been making more stuff on my own lately, too, that I think I've been getting sounding better. But I'm going to um, start a like audio production club this That's year. That's fantastic. Yeah. Kind of like do it as like a workshop, like one day a week. The kids just like come hang out. It's like and, you know, I'll just tell them, I'll get the other uh, teachers who play instruments and stuff to come help out with it and just tell them like you know this is audio production but if you want some like free guitar lessons or anything like that just come like hang out after class and but then actually maybe next year i'll have the the clout to uh actually make it into a class that's an awesome idea and the music thing is what the main focus of it probably would have been at, at you know, in the past, like when we were coming up. Mm -hmm. But now, dude, every kid is into streaming, uh, having their own YouTube channel, making their own podcast. Like you could center it around actually like producing just uh, vocal audio and making sure kids know how to actually set this equipment up and run it properly and get a good sound and knowing how to edit and produce podcasts and shit. Cause like I feel like at this point, uh, Instead of having a garage band, uh, you know, or like a, a punk band that plays in your garage or, or some shit, like kids are just as likely to try and like want to have a podcast or a show of some sort or stream themselves like you, that. That would be like that have such a killer appeal uh, for the, the age that you're teaching. Back in the day, that would have been like kind of weirdo shit, you know. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm exactly. Producing a, a radio show on the public access. Yeah, right exactly, now. exactly. Not now, man. Not, not like that's if you market it towards, or if you just like put it out there that you know this is not just about music audio, but you know, like like it's broad sound engineering for whatever kind of media you want to produce. You get some, you get some kids interested in that shit real fast. I, I definitely would have been when I was in school, and I mean, you know, around here, that's like one of the uh, our principal is like trying to. There's like an initiative this year to like get every kid involved in something school related, yeah, like extracurricular, yeah. and like you know, it's uh, the more you know, my uh, girlfriend is a juvenile defense attorney here, and it's like oh, uh, the more kids they can keep out, uh, you know, just like 
doing something productive, yeah, yeah, yeah. the better, you know? And so that's, you know, I'm, I, I'm really excited about it. And I think, and uh, you know, I've got ton rap is so much more popular these days. I feel like that's another thing that like kids who even like would have started a band back in the day are now like doing SoundCloud rap and stuff. Like it's just yeah, super yeah. popular. Which, which is, is, uh, good, like fantastic. Whatever the popular, like, uh, genre is who gives a shit sure it's just like as long as you are uh producing something it doesn't matter in my opinion it doesn't matter what the media is that's created as long as you're being creative you know uh so if it's soundcloud rap then hell yeah make some beats learn how to learn how to produce like a a good sounding track um you know for your friends to rap over for you to rap over and shit hell yeah more power to them that's, I'm always encouraging them whenever I play them like uh, an old, you know, often like a reggae song will be like, y'all, sample this. Like, yeah, it's yeah. So, so good, uh, like underneath a, a, a rap. But um, yeah, that uh, that's really cool that you had a rock ensemble. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty badass. And I just did the, I, I was not as good as, uh, so Dan and Vic were both in the classes from George Center. Um, and Dan is an incredible guitarist. Vic is an incredible guitarist and an incredible bass player. Um, and so we became buddies after that and we've played in bands together. I was in a band with them called Rapture Cabaret, uh, in the mid to late two thousands. And then after that, we started Beard of Antlers, which we are still in today. Uh, just had a show a few weeks ago, actually. And, uh, and so, yeah, we've been playing music with each other for, you know, ever since and, and been good friends. Um, I performed Dan's, or excuse me, I performed Vic's, uh, wedding, uh, to his wife and, uh, you know, Dan lives right down the street from me. So yeah, they're just good friends. And I kind of like the idea behind the show The there's a bar, kind of like our home base bar hangout, uh, Reggie's here in town and Vic runs sound for them and we're all friends with the owners and stuff. And we kind of wanted, the vibe is like the five of us shooting shit on the back porch of Reggie's. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of the unspoken mission statement of it is that it sounds like five dudes just like with a naturally flowing conversation, uh, shooting the shit and the topics I wanted to be as varied as, uh, you know, breaking down the cultural impact of like Kokomo by the beach boys uh -huh. to, uh, to talking about like, you know, the Supreme court decision of Roe versus Wade, uh, against Roe versus Wade to, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of it. It's one of those shows where like we'll record, we'll talk for an hour and a half. And then as soon as I hit the end button, I'm like, I have no idea what we just said <laughs> in that entire show because the, the conversation will start from, from point a, and it just ebbs and flows to a place that is so far off. Like, I think this past episode, we spent so much time talking about the intricacies of the extended predator universe. Um, so I haven't listened uh, which, to that one yet, which, well, we just recorded it. Okay, it's not out right. yet. So, uh, so that you, you couldn't have listened to it unless you, uh, were literally sitting in here, hiding in the closet with me. Um, like so, hacked, hacked your mainframe. Yeah, exactly. If you hacked my, if you hacked my mainframe, you could have heard it for sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I wanted it to be about, which I know is kind of like, 
when somebody says, well, what's the show about? And it's like, you have to pull one of those uh, Seinfeld moments where it's like nothing really, <laughs> like it's not about nothing, but it's about like everything. It's like whatever is uh, like on our minds that week. But we try to bring something that is, uh, that, that we know will, we, we can at least like kind of go down like a quick rabbit hole of, of like, you know, getting sidetracked and shit. If that, if that makes sense, it probably doesn't. Who knows? No, absolutely. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I love uh, that dynamic. You know, like I love a good just a podcast that's just a hang. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's definitely the vibe of your thing. It's like, but like you said, you come in with like each person brings in a topic, so there's, you don't have like nothing to talk about. You're not just yeah, like, wait, exactly. let's let's see what is then. Yeah, like we we don't want to sit around. We don't want the the listener to sit there and like uh, uh, have to go on the journey of us figuring out what we want to talk about. Like we have a doc, we have a docs, you know, a spreadsheet or a Google Doc that we add our topics for the week, and then we'll like throw it out in the group chat. Like, hey guys, I want y'all to be thinking about this. You know, like we we want you to like this week. I'll give you an example. Like my topic this week was trying to imagine if there's ever going to be another piece of pop culture phenomena on the scale of Harry Potter or Star Wars, where an entire generation, like it's, it's synonymous with an entire generation's coming of age. The reason being is because so there's so many platforms now, and this is like nothing new, what I'm saying now, there's so many things to choose from that like this unifying uh, moment in pop culture where like so many kids identify with it and like kind of coalesce around this like one story like think about harry potter it like the books and the movies were coming out for damn near like you know close to 20 years basically Mm -hmm. uh from like 96 to like 2013 i think was like when the last movie came out uh something around there i could be have the dates off but like I can't imagine that's ever going to happen again because shit is so spliced up. Like there's so many things pulling your attention. So many kids these days like are just watching YouTube channels. You know, that's that's what what they that's their form of entertainment and they don't even pay attention to movies and television the way that we did when we were coming up. So like, I was just curious about that. Like that was kind of my subject for the, for the week. And of course we try to make it funny. It's not a serious podcast in any way, shape or form, but that's kind of the, the vibe of just, uh, you know, you have a thought during the week and you kind of wonder if, if, uh, if you have something like you have an idea, you have a thought and you want to explore it. And the, you know, rest of the hosts on George center kind of help you through it. Yeah, that's you, uh, you know, you've been uh, a, a personality, a, a presence on Twitter for right. a while. <laughs> yeah. And and that I mean, that's totally the the vibe of, it. you know, just like I mean, that's what Twitter is, right? Something just yeah, like yeah, a yeah. shower thoughts and that, you know, that kind of stuff. Tweet, tweet every deranged thing that pops in your head and, <laughs> and see which one. And then sometimes they do numbers and yeah. suddenly uh, you're getting a jacket from Taco Bell, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, shit. yeah, that, I mean, I definitely want to, like, ask you about your uh, your ascent to uh, <laughs> in God. on social media and stuff. Um uh, and, and also, though, that that topic you were talking about, uh, you know, um, the uh, the monoculture, I think it's called sometimes like, yeah, 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 water cooler kind of crap that people are talking about or whatever. Last night's episode of Golden Girls or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. The yeah. Like, 
I I was uh, it's actually on Twitter. I was uh, having like a kind of back and forth, not like an argument, but just sort of conversation about um, with with LBM, who has been who's a friend of the show. She's been on yeah, yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, uh, Lefren Mom. Mom. Yeah. Uh, shout out. Uh, she she and I were kind of talking about um, the. Uh, the, well, I, I made sort of a kids these days sort of statement and tried to caveat it a lot, you know, but it's like <laughs> the idea, you know, I work with teenagers, so I'm like, sure, sure. Attention spans. I feel like we really do need a concerted effort to preserve what's left of our attention spans and to like teach younger people how to have them because I, you know, and again, like old man kind of crap, like, oh, these kids, they, their attention spans are so short. Well, you know, and then what LBM said was, you know, people used to say we were the, the, uh, TV generation that was going to yeah, rot our brains. Yeah. And my take was kind of like, well, obviously a lot of that shit was overblown and like, sure. especially the moralizing kind of stuff. But like, you know, I think the TV transition for, for culture was like more gradual and yeah, I don't know. It had I, some key differences. I think. I I understand. I know exactly what you're saying. LB, LBM makes a very good point in that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, th- there's been a few threads uh, recently where um, you know kids these days are soft. A history oh. of those headlines and the news articles and the shit goes back to like the 1800s. You know, where mm-hmm. you know the the current generation is talking about their kids not not knowing how a hard days work and shit and like back when kids were like uh, uh getting black lung at the age of eight in coal mines and stuff it's mm-hmm. like kids these days are soft you know <laughs> as, they're, yeah. as they're doing like industrial uh revolution work and shit uh but i do think that uh and and look Kids these days, my attention span is shot to shit. Absolutely. I, I yeah. mine has been uh just like uh I, mine has been so just just destroyed by the internet over the past decade or so, mm-hmm. where I like long form magazine articles are about as much you know, as much brain uh, bandwidth as I have to dedicate to shit a lot of times these days. And I, I, it sucks. Cause I can, I can tell I'm self-aware enough to know my brain chemistry has been changed. Mm-hmm. Like over the past, I would say decade to 15 years. Um, another side of that though, is just, as I, you know, I, I work throughout the day. Uh, I'm, I got a side hustle on the weekends where I do weddings. Um, we, you know, I've had three boys. I don't have, I don't have a lot of time to like the, the spare time I do have. I want to sit down and like be in the same room with my wife and like whether it's watching a show in silence or whether it's, you know, watching a movie together where we're both focused on it or just talking with her or making dinner in the evenings or I've got to meet with the bride and groom, you know, to to talk about what they're looking for in a ceremony and and shit like that. Like I do have a lot going on. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, so it's not all uh, I think I think part of the thing it's not just the internet that has shortened my attention span it's also the fact that my moments of free time where like my moments of free time i'm i'm actively seeking to turn my brain off for a little bit instead of like having to be in the the on present you know the the you know you got to be 
like you got to have your personality turned on, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in the moment type of thing. I'm looking for outlets for that. I'm looking for ways to shut my brain down, which is why Twitter is like so hard for me to 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 stay off of is because I can have, you know, think of a, a stupid ass thought or a stupid joke and, uh, you know, fart it out. And hopefully I'm making people laugh on there. You know, like that's that's those little outlets are fantastic for turning your brain off and there's also the you're not doing it in a vacuum though because there's the feedback of you know racking up likes and retweets and stuff that gives you that gratification so it brings you back for more so it conditions you to like want to turn your brain off by scrolling mm. by you know and thankfully i have not i have not f uh fallen into the tiktok uh uh wormhole yet so uh twitter is plenty for me i figure if it's good enough on tiktok somebody will download the video and upload it on twitter so i'll see it that way you know yeah. so that that's kind of that's kind of like like my my limiter uh my my I, um, uh, kind of gatekeep on, on migrating over to that platform. But, uh, I do agree. I know what, uh, left brain mom is talking about. However, this is not anything we've ever seen before as far as the, the infinite scroll and the algorithms that are so much smarter than the person using them. Mm -hmm. There is no competition to a, uh, a, a billion dollar corporation designing a digital drug for you to get addicted to. You can't stop it. It doesn't matter how smart you are. The only way you can stop it is to never use it because if you start using it, it'll get you. It will get you. Yeah. Like I, I am a firm believer of that no matter how headstrong you think you are. Um, and of course there's exceptions to this. I'm being hyperbolic for the sake of it, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I know what you're talking about too. It's, it's, it's a different beast. It's a different beast that we had from, uh, you know, wanting to watch the Simpsons, uh, you know, mm. at nine 30 on a Sunday night. Um, it's much different, uh, than having your brain rotted by, uh, the fascist rabbit hole that YouTube takes you down, you know, by the, the continue to play function. Yeah, that I mean, that's a whole other thing, like the, the you know, the the indoctrination or the uh, the radicalization kind of stuff on those platforms. Yeah, fuck yeah it is. Apparently it's on, you know, TikTok just as much, too. Yep, and yep, yep. The, and I think I was uh, another friend, you know, somebody we both know, a, a Twitter fiend, uh, Sorry Hat, I think was the person who yeah, posted. Yeah, 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 Sorry is great. And his 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 tweet, what great, yeah, great artist. Um, He did some of my yep. artwork for some of my stuff. You watch my YouTube videos, there's a couple things he did in those. He did, uh, uh, he did an avatar for me early on a mashup of Chrissy Yamaguchi and Gucci Mane uh, um, he, he did he did a portrait of Chrissy Yamaguchi with a the ice cream cone uh, uh tattoo face tats and shit and like the grill and stuff it's fantastic he's awesome. a he's a great artist and he did a uh we're eventually going to make a poster out of it but he did this badass uh uh, uh kind of portrait poster action poster of uh the dudes from jort center all holding like weapons and guitars and shit and oh fuck yeah <laughs> fucking whipped ass <laughs> Dude, that's awesome yeah he's he's definitely the type of uh, artist who you can like give him an idea and he'll because i've had you know over the years and you uh as a musician probably know it looks like if you need artwork for something you're trying to tell somebody what you want you know yeah, like yeah um i love it when i i mean i guess both are fun when some you tell somebody an idea and they produce exactly what 
you uh, yeah, were yeah. thinking. But or, then, like, or, or they do it better. They improve upon it. That's that's the that's the. That's right. I, I think yeah. Sorry, hat is every I've you know asked him for a couple of things, and uh, I and he's yeah just like takes what I told him and like elevates it a little bit in some yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but I think his the tweet it was a response to his tweet. So we were having that conversation, and he was literally saying like I just tried TikTok for an hour, and I can like feel my attention span just like <laughs> shrinking already. Yeah. And I and. You know, I'm sure there's lots of other things to blame. You know, like I said, this say uh, the the school I teach at is like very high need schools. The mm-hmm. you know euphemistic phrase for it. it's almost all really poor kids who have like right. you know rough lives. And um, they but you know uh, they uh, I don't know I <laughs> um they're they're like the sweetest kids the smartest kids like you can tell they have like so much potential god sound like an old man yeah it's like i'm trying that's why i, I know, was just I like know what you mean. i don't want to say like yeah, how do yeah. i say this without sounding like an old man but it's like you know they're um i mean i guess i'm a teacher i'm supposed to see potential in kids right so it's probably good that i do <laughs> but um i uh you know like I see them and they're they're super capable and everything. And, you know, there maybe part of it is like I know one of the big uh, things for me that I'm just like amazed at is how they don't like it whenever the teacher is going to show a video today. Like whenever you went into class as a kid, weren't you like if the, the little cart was rolled out like, fuck, yeah, I don't have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Just like going to watch this video where <laughs> write down some crap that they said in it and boom, I'll be yeah. done. And that whenever I tell the kids, like, we're watching a video today, they're like, (sighs) like, maybe it's just because they're used to seeing videos now because it's so easy to pull them up in class. Right, right, right. It's, it's, uh, they're inundated. That's what most of, most of, again, it's like I was saying before, uh, the major form of entertainment for a lot of kids, uh, for my kids especially, because I got I got three boys as well, is YouTube channels. YouTube channels or Twitch streams, things like that. Uh, so yeah, the the novelty of a video is not does not hit the same mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the way it did when we we had the teacher wheel wheeling in that cart to watch the voyage of the Mimi or some shit, you know, (laughs) the voyage of the Mimi. Why does that ring a bell with me? The voyage of the Mimi. It was like this, it was about this boat that was, uh, I think they were like tracking whales, humpback whales or something like that. Hmm. Um, I think it starred, starred like Matt Dillon, maybe. Hmm. Hold on. Let me look this up. Yeah. Voyage of the voyage (laughs) of the, this is great. While you're, while you're looking that up, I'll uh, just double back for a second. The the reason I was kind of bringing up like, you know, it's a high need school or whatever is like, there's maybe some level of though. I've only ever taught at high need schools pretty much. So I don't really know, um, you know, and when teaching public school, but like the, you know, maybe it's like, well, there's always going to be some level of like, more of the kids are going to be behind and that kind of thing. But that, I don't know if it usually applies that much to like their attention spans, but it is like literally every single kid cannot like, I did an experiment last year that I videotaped and well, a video that I filmed that I recorded on my phone. And I, um, uh, I like, uh, I, I put the camera up and then like the kids knew I was recording this and everything. And the, the, the little activity I was doing experiment I was doing was like, all right, we're going to watch this video. It's three minutes long. 
and I am not going, I'm going to pause the video every time somebody, it looks distracted in some way. Like you need to watch this with your eyeballs for three minutes without right. stopping. And I got through at six periods throughout the day. I got through the whole video with one class, 45 minute Holy class period. Shit. I was just trying to like demonstrate to them, like, guys, this is not, you can't do this. You can't yeah, be this yeah. like distracted all the time. And it's, I mean, you know, I, anyway, the, uh, that's one thing this year I'm really going to, I'm trying to like look into like research on that stuff, like how to try and like maybe over the course of a year help kids increase their attention spans. Yeah. So, uh, we, our youngest, we actually, uh, not to, I guess it doesn't really matter. So uh, we're, we're, uh, we've had a foster child, uh, since December. Um, and we are, uh, almost done getting officially licensed. So that's another thing just on our plates over the uh -oh. past few months is jumping through all those hoops and, and learning the ins and outs of the, uh, very poorly funded and, uh, often patchwork system of <laughs> foster care. Uh, but, uh, he is absolutely a delight. I, I love him to pieces. He's he's fantastic kid, and uh, but God bless him, he cannot focus on even like a twenty five minute episode of Modern Family when we're like you know eating dinner or something and we just put on a show to watch or an episode of The Office. It's like he loses interest so fast. It is ridiculous, and I don't know. I don't like he's the youngest by a couple years in our house now. Um, our uh, my youngest stepson, uh, Tavin is 16. Um, and he uh, he'll sit there and watch a show, no problem. But I don't know, I don't know if it was just like what he was allowed to do when he was younger, or maybe the fact that Tavin has older siblings that were willing to watch shows that weren't, you know, yet kind of, uh, I don't want to say corrupted cause that sounds like a nefarious, uh, thing, but just like their brains hadn't been wired that way. So their influence on what Tavin was willing and will not willing to do as far as like the amount of attention he was willing to give something, uh, rubbed off on him. But with Drew, uh, uh, he doesn't have any older siblings and I, he, he, he has the hardest time just watching again, like a 20, 25 minute episode or something. But then every once in a while, I'll find like a movie or something that really piques his interests. Most recently being the predator franchise. Oh, yeah. He, he <laughs> sat through like the, the, uh, the original predator. And then we watched predator two, which is, uh, just a silly, silly ass movie, but super fun. I've, I've never seen it. I've, I've only seen the first one and then like the alien versus predator movies. I think I've seen. Those. Okay. So the first one, the first one is like one of those classic. And I think it, I think the first one really to understand the impact it had, uh, not to get off on too much of a tangent, wow, but wow. I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelist for predator recently because I watched that new prey movie on Hulu and shit was badass. Really? Uh, yes. It was really good. Really good. But the first predator movie, like it, it, you have to in you have to remember the context of it, which it was like billed as like this commando movie, just like another Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he's a uh, soldier in the jungle who's a badass. You know, except they they set it up like that, 
and then slowly but surely reveal to you that there is this alien in the creature that is now, or this alien in the jungle that is now hunting them. So it like turns into this like really kind of subversive and innovative sci-fi movie uh, that wasn't billed as a sci-fi movie. So uh, the first one's great. The second one stars Danny Glover, and it is just, it's laughable in many parts, but it's still, in hindsight, it has its charm to it. And so we watched the most recent one, and he's all on board about watching, you know, going through and watching the entire, like, Predator, you know, all the different iterations over the years of, of Predator movies and stuff. So... You know, every once in a while, you you strike gold and you find mm-hmm. something that he's, he's willing to commit a lot of like time and focus to, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is always good and, and fun. So we're slowly working our way through that, but it is like it's the outlier. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's ready to go back and watch his carefully curated over the years YouTube algorithm that mm-hmm. knows, uh, you know, he's subscribed to over like 1100 channels or something, uh, uh, on YouTube, Damn. uh, from, from over the years of, of that being his primary form of entertainment, you know? And it's interesting too. Cause like, I think, wow, 1100 channels, that's ridiculous. Uh, and then I think about like the boomer generation, uh, people in my life and their cable packages and how they were more than happy to pay for 1200 channels of everything under the sun, you know, like, like it's just a, it's the same thing. It's just packaged differently, you know? And it's, it's like now their 1100 channels are also on demand because they, they pay for the digital cable box and shit. So it's again, uh, you know, kids these days, are just different versions of the kids from the past, you know, and like the adult generations. Uh, It's just, it takes the place of, you know, it just uh, uh, takes the place of things that we had a plethora of growing up. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you and I can see so clearly that our attention spans have been like negatively affected by, you know, Twitter and YouTube and whatever, just like the more kind of fast paced information age Um, you know, if we can see that so clearly, it's like younger kids, a lot of them have, they never even had a chance to develop an attention span. Yeah. yeah, So I don't know. It kind of makes sense to me that it would be, it's something that it's like, it's not to say we need to get rid of social media or TikTok or anything like that. Just that like something to be aware of so that we can be correcting for it where we need to be. Absolutely. Um, The, um, uh, the monetization of YouTube videos and it's quant what what's the what's the I was gonna try and say that fluidly but I fucked it up. What's the uh the industrial revolution and its consequences have been uh oh, it's from the Unabomber manifesto. Uh <laughs> re- replace industrial revolution with the monetization of YouTube videos <laughs> and its consequences have been a detriment to uh civilization or whatever. Uh you know, it's it's uh it's anytime anytime you tell people that you can make money off of something, it's going to be exploited to a degree that corrupts the broader uh the the generation that is introduced to it, basically. Sure. I mean, and that, you know, it's all just be traced back to the, you know, the the drive to make everything more profitable and to not leave any dollar untouched or yeah, potential. It, mon- dollar. Monetization of everything. 
monetization yeah. of everything. And it doesn't mean that I am advocating that like only YouTube should be able to make money off of other people's content and shit. Nothing like that. It's just, uh, th- there's no solution to it because I do think content creators should get paid for whatever they upload to these services. At the same time, that incentive drives people to create, uh, an ecosystem that is just the as addictive as possible. It's just mm-hmm. it's all part of the same thing, you know, and it, it's it's all it's all part of the same uh, uh, chain kind of the I, I guess ecosystem is the right word, but the the same cycle, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's a step in the cycle that that causes these attention spans to 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 get corrupted and, and minimized is this what you wanted to talk about hoss i'm sorry we are like so uh, i'm so all over the place with this shit man oh well you know that's i i i actually had you know there's like a, a handful of questions i usually like toward the end of the interviews that i over time i didn't have these in my mind when i first you know in the first episode but yeah, yeah over time yeah. i've kind of added some stuff and like some direction stuff which We'll get to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, like, take up too much of your time here. but No, 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 you're good, man. I just realized I have a minute and 40 seconds before this. I have to, like, restart this meeting, I guess. Oh, let me, let me send a link to you because I have the paid version of Zoom. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to do, or, um, actually, I'll keep my backup rolling and send you a link right now if you want. So nine o'clock in the morning. So like we all, because it's about the only time that we can consistently mm-hmm. know that we, we got shit else to do uh, at nine o'clock in the morning on the weekend. Yeah. That, I mean, um, I like have tried to set up and that was actually one of the things I kind of want to bring up with you is how uh, like George center when when you guys started doing that i definitely like got this oh these are just like buddies who all are you know funny guys who can like hold the ball up in the air with each other easily yeah and, um the and like i have a group of friends you know similar guys i've grown up with and like uh used to make videos with and we'd like enter in these competitions in college and stuff and we um and like a couple of these guys, like just the funniest people I know, and I've been trying to get them to start a podcast podcast for the longest time. But a yeah. big difference, I think, between those guys and your friends is that they're not musicians. So they have never been like content creators before, I guess. Right, like, right, right. You know, when you're in a band, it's like you have to line all of your schedules up and do all that stuff and it's like yes it's uh <laughs> the i know exactly what you're talking about like the uh the respecting and i'm not saying this about your friends but just people in general if you've never been in a band before or any kind of collaborative effort the uh 
the first rule and the first thing you have to condition yourself is you have to respect everybody else's time as far as like when you are ready to go, when you're ready. Like if we agree on this time, we all got to be there and we all got to get the shit done. You know, like that is a, that is a huge thing to, to get ingrained and people that haven't done that before are oftentimes a lot more lackadaisical about that or they're a lot more like, you know, kind of fluid mm-hmm. with with how how serious they take that aspect a lot of times. So, uh yeah, those those dudes are all it, it also like if you've never performed before, you you know, no matter how like comfortable you think you are or somebody sounds like they are on the microphone they're doing a performance mm-hmm. like it is you're you're performing right now i'm performing right now it's it's a byproduct of hitting it's the record button effect or the red light effect whatever they call it where you you or the uh, on a more scientific level, what what is that shit called when like the mere act of observing oh, yeah. an experiment think, affects the outcome? I think outcome? they call that the observer effect, or like yeah. if you want to like a film. Uh, like- it shows you how much I know. Like the literally the thing I just said is in the title, and uh. I didn't know what the fuck it was called. I mean, I think I think that's what they call. It. It, it's I think you're right. The um, there's uh, I, I was trying to think of a uh, there's in in like documentary filmmaking. I think they have like a phrase for that where it's like yeah yeah, you yeah. Know, just the presence of the camera is a character in the film because it's changing everybody's behavior kind of thing. A hundred percent. So like the the it took us a while to I will say like I, I knew I had been doing Lauer after hours for a little while at that point. So I kinda I was comfortable for a while, but the moment and we still do it on Joy Center where like we haven't hit record yet and we're like Net, like we are elbows deep in like some really great conversation and I'm like guys this is really good like we should all hit record and everybody like takes a second and we all hit record and then it's just silence mm-hmm. and it's just like I don't remember what we where we were even at like how did we get there and stuff and then we have to like like pretend like kind of uh, produce a facsimile of what we had just like created organically, just talking to each other like we would if we were shooting the shit and having a beer on the back porch of Reggie's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so like it takes a while. We're we're a lot more comfortable now. Those guys are a lot more comfortable on microphone, and they're fantastic. They they bring all the content. My job, I kind of steer the ship. You know, mm-hmm. I try to find the lulls in the conversation where like I can feel it naturally. Okay, we've we've either run these jokes into the ground, or I think we kind of got to the the point that we you know one of us was trying to make, or we kind of explored this as much as we can explore it. It's time to move on to the next person, and we kind of have to do this within like an hour and a half of recording and there's five of us so we have to make sure that like everybody gets their their time to like bring up their topic and stuff so i'm i'm kind of more of like steering the ship and Mm -hmm. kind of like uh kind of almost like the referee a little bit um because as if you truly just had a natural conversation for an hour and a half you would get to nothing that anybody Mm -hmm. wanted to actually bring for the week and discuss yeah i wonder if people get annoyed when like because i'll come with a list of questions like no matter who the guest is you know i'll have some stuff an interview worked out and then a lot of times it's like we spend an hour not talking about any of the stuff I planned because we just got caught up talking about a news story or something. And yeah. it's like that, but also, you know, just going on tangents yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, but, yeah. and actually I have a, uh, a specific, um, 
a bone to pick with, I can't remember who said this on George Center, but okay. somebody, yeah, it was on a, um, a pretty recent episode. Um, okay. Somebody, and it might have been one you weren't even on, because I know I've heard one or two of those. Right. Uh, right like right. you were on vacation or something. Um, but uh, it, somebody mentioned, old. They were, y'all were talking about old stand-up comedy. And okay. somebody said uh, Steve Martin. Like I saw like a clip of Steve Martin and it wasn't good or something like that. Like, you know, the, the idea that, I mean, it's absolutely 100 percent true that nothing ages worse than comedy. Comedy. Uh, right. 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 I, I know. I remember this exact conversation. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I the reason that um, I imagine or I was kind of like wondering, it was one of those moments of and I think a good hang podcast is like this. Uh, it's one of those moments where I was like, God damn it. I wish I was there to like enlighten these guys about how great. And see, that's <laughs> that's that's what we want to elicit. Like, mm-hmm. even if it's just like I could wring these dudes necks right now, like that's <laughs> that's great. That is eliciting yeah. a response. I was talking to a friend of mine's uh, wife. I ran into her and and she gave me a big hug. She's like, I'm ready to kill you guys almost every week in the car <laughs> when I listened to y'all because you uh you you were said some shit about Dave Matthews or something and I love Dave Matthews. <laughs> I was cracking up. I was like that makes me feel fantastic because it, we want you to feel like we are just like shooting the shit and having a conversation and we want you to talk back to us over over the the audio. The Steve Martin thing though, did you did you have like a specific like you, you want to like throw the gauntlet down type situation or I mean so well I <laughs> <laughs> so, <'Cause> I, <laughs> okay. Well, I I grew up with uh, the first stand-up comedy I ever heard was Steve Martin, and okay, okay. The, you know, I my uh, dad and I, or my dad had a like a '78 Thunderbird with an eight-track player in it, so I just yeah, remember yeah. those eight tracks so well. It's also like where I got in on like Tom T. Hall. And um, who we've had, you know, I did the whole episode with Chris Crofton just talking about Tom T. Hall right after he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, I and so like Steve Martin's I loved it as a kid and I still really like it now like my favorite movie of all time is The Jerk and his and like his stand-up comedy is uh from the era like of course some of it's like corny because you've heard the jokes since then sure sure and but some of it is I think maybe if you if you just kind of got a glance at it or didn't really see what was uh, didn't like watch a whole special or something like or listen to a whole album um, the whole the stuff about him wearing the arrow through his head and like the with the King Tut song and all that stuff like yeah it yeah, seems yeah. very very tacky and it is but that's kind of part of the if you watch it it's very experimental what he was doing especially for absolutely the time. it was it was very very um I, I mean experimental is honestly like the the best the best way of putting it or avant garde maybe mm-hmm. uh, in a way. Um, or, or it was the beginning of the quote unquote alternative comedy where he's like he was doing a character of a stand up uh, comic, you know, uh, while he was up there that that wasn't. It was that was part of the performance. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going up there and doing like uh hi, I'm Steve Martin and this is my natural like self telling these jokes. Mm-hmm. He's going up there as a character to do these things. Um, the King Tut thing, I, I remember, I can't remember who brought it up or why, but I remember defending it because the King Tut song that 
was being referenced was in response to this King Tut, uh, uh, like this like explosion in pop culture at the time. There was this King Tut traveling exhibit all over the country. There was King Tut on the cover of magazines and uh, and and just like in the you know doing specials on television at the time. And so he his whole King Tut thing was. Kind of, it was a joke about the uh, the monetization of this mm-hmm. pharaoh <laughs> from thousands of years ago, and he was doing a silly, ironic pop song, you know, catchy, like you know, uh, you know, dance song uh, about this absurd subject at the time. So you needed all that context to understand that song. So when I remember that tweet that went around and somebody was like, I don't get this shit. Y'all are telling me that like, this was the peak of comedy in like 1977 (laughs) or whatever. And it's like, yes, because you had to be there with everything. Like you said before, everything ages poorly. Comedy ages, especially poorly. And, one of the main reasons is because comedy relies on context so much. Comedy is a response to whatever cultural temperature is happening at the time more than anything else. You know, drama doesn't need the, the climate context nearly as much. Um, your action movies, maybe, uh, depends on like who the villain is and the, you know, whether it's Russia or North Korea or China or whatever, you know, Iran, what, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever country we're like pissed off at the most at the time or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, sorry, I keep cussing on here. Can I cuss on here? Uh, totally fine. I try, okay. I try to limit my cursing just because I teach high school. So I, yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I apologize. Uh, my bad, but uh, totally just like the uh, I mainly just because it's like I don't want like a parent to find it or and so I don't I do curse but like I will up top uh, at the beginning of the episode bleep yeah, out any yeah. curses that I have and then I just Fair ignore enough. it for the rest Fair of the enough. episode just because it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. if a parent here's this, which they're never going to, but just to be on the safe side, you know, I just wanted to think I'm bleeping it out. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I should have asked at the beginning. I apologize for that. Um, but please cuss away. It's not, it's not me cussing. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is, You're innocent, innocent. Yeah. Hoss is innocent. Uh, so anyway, like more so than anything else, comedy is the most sensitive to whatever uh, cultural, whatever the cultural moment is at the time. So... As a result, that's that's why it ages so badly. That's mm-hmm. why, uh, uh, particularly when stand-up was still kind of coming into its own, when Steve Martin uh, really like uh, w- really had his heyday on stage. Uh, you really needed the context of everything else going on and what he was kind of a response to. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, at least that's my uh, armchair psychology opinion on it. I have no idea what I'm talking about, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think that it it's the the context. That's probably the biggest reason that comedy doesn't age well. And also, like comedy relies so much on surprise and yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're not uh, the, what is going to surprise you is going to change with time, and it's once you've heard it, you've heard it. So. Yeah, it's it's like the that. That thing that you're talking about, that's one of the biggest reasons where I I get annoyed at these uh, 
these Twitter threads or these posts or these articles that say uh, the Beatles are the most overrated band of all time or some 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 declarative statement like that, right? And it's like, okay, you don't have to like the Beatles. I, I like the Beatles okay. I, I think they're fine or whatever, or whatever band we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Somebody is overrated and they suck now or whatever. If you weren't there in the context of hearing this band do things that nobody had ever done before for the very first time, of course your mind's not going to be blown. Your mind, like, your mind is so warped, and it's like, it's back, it's all part of the same conversation we were having with, like, attention spans and kids uh, scrolling, uh, you know, YouTube or TikTok or Twitter or whatever it is. Uh, Your brain is already configured in a way that this is not impressive to you Mm -hmm. this is not this is not triggering things that have never been triggered before or like stimulating parts of your brain that have never been simulated before your brain is is uh operating on a different level back in 1963 or whatever 1964 when a band comes out with an album doing things that literally nobody had ever done before or something like the beach boys or or uh you know uh zeppelin or or even like like black sabbath one of my favorite bands of all time uh still some of the heaviest music ever now people have done it to a more extreme level to where kids that grew up listening to like deathcore and black metal and uh uh you know extreme versions of heavy music uh they're going to listen to Black Sabbath and it's going to sound like the friggin' Eagles to them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's going to, it's going to pale in comparison. They're going to be like, this is what y'all thought was heavy. And it's like, yes, because back in 1969 uh, or 1970, when Sabbath's first albums came out, nobody has sounded this heavy before. Like you have to, it's, it's all about, uh, uh, experiencing uh, again, having your brain stimulated in a way that, it had never been stimulated before. So yeah. the more the overexposure to things, of course, it like it raises the bar required to make you stop and go, holy shit, that is that's on another level. I've never I've never this is a religious experience. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, that I think I remember uh you, I, I remember I've talked about like with with older people, like my uh, girlfriend's dad, who's like big classic rock guy, you know, and as every man, the white guy of that age is. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I and he was uh, I, we, he asked me, he's like, you like heavy music, right? He's like, do you like uh, Metallica? And, you know, Metallica is like an unequivocally a heavy band. But my response sure. to that was kind of like whenever I'm looking for heavy I feel like Metallica just doesn't really, like, do it for me. I like Metallica's music, all right. Sure, sure. But it doesn't do that, like, the, like, hard pan, like, down-tuned, really, like, heavy stuff that, like, you really want to... It doesn't stir that visceral thing inside of you that says, hey, Hoss... This is heavy as hell right now. What you're listening to is heavy. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't make that. It doesn't trigger that thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I, I completely get that. I remember you. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah. I was on on Twitter. This was a while back. I had never listened to Megadeth, and uh-huh. I or I didn't know what I didn't even know what they sounded like. But I mean, they're like you know one of the big three. Uh, right? Is it the big three or the yeah. big four? It's, it's the big four. Uh, Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth. Slayer, of course. Slayer, yeah, Slayer. Yeah. Slayer's the one that I've always like 
had a the the biggest soft spot for. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's like I, but I actually went back when it was kind of during that when I was like, I'm gonna get, actually get like bone up on my thrash metal here and like right, listen to some right. uh, some Megadeth and Anthrax albums, which were the main two I hadn't really listened to much. And um, the I went back and listened to Slayer's first album, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting. I don't know like if you or like when the last time you really listened to that was. It it sounds so much like classic rock like it's just right there on the, it's <laughs> on the cusp yeah. yeah and you can hear the C. like it sounds like slayer playing a classic rock album you know like right right and it's i had never really thought about that like and at around that same time i remember i uh stumbled upon a um a concert on youtube that had been it was like a restored f- filmed van halen concert from like 1978 and so I, I think that's like before they really hit huge. Yeah, that was that was around I think seventy seven or seventy eight was their first uh, their self titled mm. uh, release. That was one of their first first records. Yeah, and that's a band that I have always you know obviously Eddie Van Halen is like a fucking amazing guitar player, but sure. I have never. It's like I can see the appeal, but it's one that I've always been like I just don't vibe with this at all <laughs> yeah, yeah, but when yeah. i watched that concert i was like oh shit i get it i, you I get see, it yeah. you get it right <laughs> like that that's that is uh, that's one of my favorite uh sayings when it comes to to music or or art in general is when someone someone takes the time to say this is not my thing but having witnessed it in the context in which it needed to be witnessed I get it. I completely get it. I get why people like this. Again, it doesn't, not necessarily my thing. It's not anything I would ever seek out, but I get it. I understand it. So, and, and that's a similar thing with, with like a band like Megadeth. I don't, I don't never listen to Megadeth really. Like not, not a super, not, not a fan of them, but you know, watching a video for like Holy Wars or something. Mm. Watching that live, I'm like, oh yeah, I completely understand this. I, I get why uh, why this shreds so hard. Um, the, a lot of it's interesting. My relationship to like super heavy music is is interesting. Uh, I grew up like a fan of old country. Um, like I grew up listening to in my household. It was like old country and Motown and the Beatles. That was kind of like that was the three kind of areas that my my mom was always listening to the oldie station, uh, a lot of classic Motown, the Supremes, Temptations, um, uh, Smokey Robinson, and then uh, the Beatles. She was a huge Beatles fan uh, growing up. Uh, she kind of hit her sweet spot as far as like being a teenage girl when they were uh, becoming popular, and then uh, my dad's side. It was like. It was it was mainly you know uh, older older country, but also like just like a lot of classic rock stuff in general. Um, he was like kind of all over the place, and then he played uh, the dulcimer as well. So he like kind of had like a bluegrass influence as well. Um, so I started getting into like heavy music uh, probably towards the end of high school and uh, first few years of college, and. Mastodon was really like besides Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath was the first heavy band I ever got into. But then I found Mastodon and that put me on like it drew me to a very it drew me to this place where like I looked for heavy bands that 
had an element of what Mastodon was doing. So not, it was like, I didn't, I never really got super into Metallica, super into Slayer, super into uh, even Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. I like kind of, besides Black Sabbath, I kind of zipped right past a lot of the classic, traditional, like metal, you know, metalhead, you know, uh, uh, journey that a lot of guys my age go through mm -hmm. and, and kind of zipped right to Mastodon because it just, again, it, it lit up a part of my brain that had never been lit up musically. And so once I found them, a lot of my friends, it was around that time where like, like mid two thousands, where there was like some, there was just this explosion of like metalcore bands and super heavy shows that were playing what felt like every night at a different venue in town. And so we, I was going to so many live shows Every night of the week, it was back when you worked random jobs at random shift hours. So like the, you know, on a Wednesday night, you partied, you know, yeah. like it was back in that day. You had no like structure whatsoever. Um, so we were going to see shows all the time, but I wasn't, I wasn't sitting down and then like listening to these bands record when I got home I would go it was all about the live experience for mm. me I would I would get in the pit I would like I would I would you know uh be right there in the middle of things uh you know uh absolutely loving it but then when I went home I was going back to the stuff that I was used to listening to the Eagles, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Charlie Daniels, um, uh, Bo Cephas, uh, the temptations, like all the stuff that I grew up listening to is what I would listen to in my time. But then I was going to see all of these heavy bands and my friends bands open for a lot of these, these heavy bands. And then I eventually started playing, uh, in metal bands and, and playing shows with a lot of these, a lot of these groups, uh, uh, so that was kind of my my heavy uh, my heavy music kind of journey. It's it's kind of a different one than a lot of friends of mine who, like, when they get invested in a genre of music, they really explore it like with a fine tooth comb and ha you know, which I I did didn't do that. I I experienced it in the moment going to these uh, going to see them live because all these bands that were like the the most popular metalcore bands at the time uh, or hardcore bands at the time, they would play your town, you know, cause they were not super popular outside mm. of their specific niche genres. So they would play the soapbox downtown or they would play Lucky's or they would play Reggie's. Uh, so you could go see these bands and they'd hang out with you and smoke a joint in the parking lot afterwards. Mm. Uh, you know, you could, you could actually like hang out with them and oftentimes they needed a place to crash. So they would, you know, uh, sleep at your apartment at night uh so it was it was kind of like a weird I, i've been and the reason i'm bringing this up i've been thinking about this a lot lately is like i was not i was not seeking out new music for a very long time i was just listening to the things that i grew up with but i was going to a lot of live music at the same mm -hmm. time so it's kind of does that make sense yeah, like I, yeah. I was it was it's it's not what people usually do usually like if you're really into music if you play music you're constantly on the search for like you know listening to records and listening to albums and stuff and i just didn't do a whole lot of that i just mm -hmm. like going to the shows that that makes sense to me, especially with the the genres we're talking about, because, you know, my reaction to um, sorry, oof, this mic noise. There we go. Um, my reaction to a lot of uh, sorry, just a little funky. Uh, 
a lot of metal stuff, especially when I was younger. Um, yeah. Was because I grew up listening to like punk rock, and I mean I've said this many times, but like I basically I went through a phase between like the ages of like ten or eleven to about fifteen, sixteen, where like any music that was not political punk was bullshit, and I hated right, it. Right, right, um, right. And I, <laughs> and so like. I, I think I did, I, you know, I, it was Ben Folds really was the first thing where I was like, oh, music that's not political punk can be good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, but like I but heavy music, my complaint about it almost always is like I really love the way this sounds and feels. And I love putting the headphones on and just hearing that those it's like almost like a, a heroin hit or something like. Just, yeah, yeah. It, like I, I crave that a lot of times. And. Um, but my issue's always been probably what a lot of people's issue is. It's like, I can't understand what they're saying. And whenever <laughs> I do, I'm like, this shit is kind of dumb, like weird, yeah, like fantasy yeah, yeah. or like just not interesting to me. Right, um, right. and the thing that really, uh, I think, uh, do you know the band Propagandi? I've, I've talked about them yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. they, you know, like they were kind of associated with like the nineties fast punk skate punk stuff. And their first album definitely has that sound and like, they and so they have you know, their first three albums really really popular and they they always just struck me as like these guys are like real musicians playing punk rock which is like right, right. Know, not always the case and they after a certain point though um they came like i i hadn't really listened to their new stuff for a minute and in high school or early college i remember i was like oh, what's propaganda been up to and like listen to like the first few tracks off one of their albums, I was like, God, they've got, this is too like metal for me now. Like the music is, or like, I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me. Right. And I, I think I, it was like, I wasn't ready for it. Like the music was like too complex and sophisticated. And right. I, in order to really appreciate that needed to just be a musician for longer. And, um, and, you know, just to like listen to more stuff and to get sick of punk, fast punk, probably to <laughs> right. a certain degree. Um, but now I would say they're like my favorite band of all time will probably always be bad religion, but, uh, propagandi is right up there with them because, that is something they really scratch that itch of like the lyrics are amazing. Some of my, I think some of the best, both personal and political lyrics of like any artist I know of. And right. the music is, can be fucking like thrash metal levels of heavy. Um, but they just, and I, but I think they really have like a wider variety of wells that they draw from, right, uh, right, from right. like, you know, sometimes a, a lot of, uh, well, a lot of bands in general are kind of one note, pardon the pun, but the metal bands, especially if you're not like really into that kind of music, it can all kind of sound the same to you. You, you were probably having like somewhere deep inside of you, you were probably having a reaction to the music sounding particularly with them being a politically minded, politically forward thinking band. You probably without, without putting too fine a point on it, probably reacting to why do these guys spend so much time making the music sound good. They should just be more focused on the politics of the situation. You know, like you, you see what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of, a lot of that political, like stripped down punk, it's about the message that they are, they are like, you know, angry about it on the microphone and so the music i don't want to say that the music is like secondary but 
if you are positioning your band to be known for that, to be known for the political message that you're getting across, I can see the the kind of I don't want to say gatekeepy or or the the kind of narrow-minded response of oh well this shit sounds too overproduced they've sold out you know mm-hmm. because they're the the music they they spent too too much time you know coming up with that riff or too much time doing that when they should be focused on the message which is what we like them for in the first place um, yeah. I I could see that being a again without you even realizing you're do, putting that fine a point on it that I could see that visceral reaction subconsciously happening in your head especially if you haven't listened to them in a few years and then you come back and their sound is completely changed. Yeah, I I totally I think that that is part of it, you know, and like having a um an expectation. And that I think is like one of the things I've had to really like chip away at with my, especially like just experiencing new art is like, yeah, you have to try. I mean, you're always going to have expectations of some kind, but it's like to really like embrace something. Um, you know, you, you have to try to set those aside to a certain sure. degree a lot sure. of the times. I mean, do you, uh, you know, do you listen to punk music at all or any like kind of political music? Honestly, no, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't, I don't listen to a whole lot of punk. It was just a genre that, that I, I just missed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now I've seen a lot of punk bands live, been to a lot of shows and stuff, uh, enjoyed it. It's fun as hell. Um, but then when I go home, it's not anything again, it's not anything that I've ever seeked out, um, or, or kind of, like really been drawn to enough to to go out of my way to look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, politically, if I do, I don't know it. Really? <laughs> if, if that makes sense, you know, like if if I if I do listen to to any uh, political uh, music, I'm not even not even aware of it to be honest with you. So if there's like some weird, uh, some like band that you really like that it turns out they're like uh, fucking weird, like Nazis or some shit, then that's this right here is your uh, evidence that you didn't know. Yes, I did not know. You, you cannot cancel me for that <laughs> because I am literally oblivious. <laughs> I, I uh, like I it's weird, man. My again, my relationship to music, I write music, I I play guitar, I sing uh in multiple bands, I play bass and beard of antlers, guitar and bandolero, and I don't listen to a whole lot of new music. Like I I enjoy what I do hear and up hearing of new music and stuff, but I don't like new new albums come out of things and I don't I don't seek them out. I don't sit down and listen to them. I don't even, I don't listen to music at work. Uh, really? Like I don't listen to it in my, my truck. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm even like stuck in my ways because I'm not, not open to listening to new music. It's just, uh, it takes a lot to get me to sit down and, uh, like really get into a new artist or something that I'm, I've not heard before. Well, I mean, I think that might be another type because I would describe myself similarly. 
um, that, and I've always kind of thought of it as like a, uh, a bad thing that like, I'm not branching out enough. So make a conscious effort to like listen to new stuff sometimes, but yeah, like, I don't know. I, I really, I, you know, I went through that phase where I'd like only listen to punk music and I know like musicians who are just like all about just like the not you know, new stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. but then like, I don't know, I think it might be just two sides of the same coin of like, well, I, I, I have that like craving to just like listen to certain songs all the time. And I think maybe like being a musician, um, and just someone who really, really appreciates music a lot, like maybe you're a little bit, if you listen more intently than others, maybe like maybe you're a little bit more likely to just keep going back to the same stuff because you're able to find new things in it or like appreciate it in a different way. That is, that's actually a really good point because over the years, uh, artists that I've had like a passing familiarity with, um, where I'm, I'm familiar enough with their catalog to know that it's something that I enjoy. I'll go back and listen to from time to time and I'll be, I'll find myself appreciating things about them that I never heard a decade ago mm-hmm. or, or two decades ago where, uh, just something as simple as the decision to, to make this chord change halfway through belting out the chorus or this one specific line, I'll go, holy shit, man, that's how you write a hook. Like that's, that's one of the secrets right there. Like that is how you, when I'm, when I'm writing music for Bandolero, when I'm trying to come up with a vocal melody or come up with a, you know, like a way to like, like how do we make this song sound more, produced and more have the vibe like a stronger vibe of what we're going for and i'll go listen to a song that i feel like kind of captures the feel that we're going for and i'll listen to the little production tricks that Hmm. i wouldn't have never picked out had i not been trying to make my own version of this song so to speak Mm -hmm. uh and i'll realize okay that's what we need to do we need like when 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 I finish the last word in this chorus, the drum should hit this like kind of cool, like disco shuffle for about four measures and like, just leave this hanging open chord there. And that like, and then we'll try that as a band and I'll go, that's, that is what I'm actually hearing. Like that is when I imagine a song in my head. Cause I do this thing when I'm writing music where I'll get an idea for a song and I can hear all the parts but I don't necessarily know what all the instruments are doing when I hear all the parts. And then slowly but surely I'll unlock, okay, the bass should actually do like a, 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 a pickup notes right here. The guitar should hit this like open chord and just let it like soar for a second. And the drum should go into this like kind of shuffle, kind of like, you know, a uh, 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 beat for, for about four, four measures. And then we go back into the song and all those little like elements you put together and it starts to actually sound like the thing that I have in my head that I'm trying desperately to <laughs> sculpt out of the, the wooden block that is my brain sometimes. Well, I mean that, uh, you know, that it, it always, I always love hearing like people's songwriting process. Cause it's like, uh, I mean, I would, whenever, uh, it, like 
if anybody would like ask me what uh, what what's your how do you write a song? How what do you come up with the lyrics first? So the you know that's a really common question to songwriters. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I for me, it's like pretty much kind of different every time. Like something right. happens first that like inspires me in some way or another. But it's like whatever that was because you know I'm, but I. Uh, I wonder, um, I, I, I hear, I was like refreshing to hear you talk about like listening, getting inspiration and like little things piecing together from other uh, artists. Cause I think like as creative types, we have this tendency to think that we have to like come up with everything in our own head when it's like literally no one ever comes up with anything in their own head. <laughs> no, it's like you can't just invent a new – well, you could invent a new language and a new scale to play or whatever. So it's like right, everything right. is coming from somewhere and you're um, – and, and I think that actually like makes – artists better when they're more open to being inspired and then i think it also makes them pay attention to things like uh like not ripping off melodies and stuff like that uh a little bit more because you're actually aware of the fact that you are drawing inspiration from places and you can't do it too much right yeah yeah yeah. it's it's uh the way in a nutshell the way i i like try to come up with a song or an idea for a song write something is uh i come up like i'll i'll hear a melody in my head that uh i i try to hammer out on guitar and then i will try to come up with a song to play the rest of my bandmates and say like you're you're all good enough that if i play you this song, you're not going to rip it off. You're just going to understand that the vibe, the feel of this song is what I'm going for on this track. So as far as the dynamic goes, as far as what the drums should do on the quiet part, when the, the guitars haven't come in yet, uh, when it comes to the way we ended or the way we go into a bridge or something like that, uh, we're trying to make our, and I joke about this all the time. Like this is our version of this song. You know, this is our version of the, you know, of, of, um, this famous riff or whatever it's, it's, uh, uh, or, or we ask ourselves, we just all look and ask ourselves when we're trying to write something, what would ZZ Top do? What would ZZ Top do? What decision would they make at this point in the song? And usually that gets us to a, 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 a very, uh, some some place that gets us to a decision a lot quicker than if we just stood around like trying every iteration of every possible combination of shit. Uh, so uh, it's, I think, I think if more musicians actually did that and actually tried to uh used specific songs or examples of things that they love and appreciate and are inspired by it would save them a lot of headache <laughs> than trying to really go out of your way and say well no we can't do it this way because it it um uh, i was thinking of this song when uh, I came up with this. It's like, no, that's what you should be doing. That mm-hmm. is exactly what you should be doing. Because that, that's literally how all all art is made. Nothing is made in a vacuum. And the moment you consume anything, you're you're therefore influenced by it. It's what we were talking about before. It's the observer uh, phenomena mm-hmm. or whatever, where the the mere act of ingesting something uh, means you are going to influence its outcome, whether you decide to change it 
to steer away from something or to steer steer it closer to something. Mm. Those are all subconscious decisions and conscious decisions that you're making during the process. Yeah, and I think that uh, being being aware of it is like I, don't, I think that's just like another level of uh, you. It opens up more creativity uh, yeah. instead of like making you more derivative necessarily. You know, um, yeah. I uh, do you so do you write all the lyrics for uh, Bandolero and not for uh, Beard of Antlers or what's how does that work? So I uh, I write. Uh I would say I write the majority of the lyrics in Bandolero. Clayton's written some, the guitar player. Uh, and um, I, I write the majority of that just because I'm the main singer in that band. Mm. Um, and then in Beard of Antlers, Vic writes a lot of lyrics. I've written uh, a handful of lyrics for for that band. Uh, it's just kind of like whoever's got a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, and my policy when it comes to writing music is what sounds cool. Uh, does this sound cool? Yes or no. If it sounds cool, hell yeah, that's what I'm going to sing. <laughs> and, yeah. and also like the, the vocal, whatever, uh, works best for the vocal melody. I very much have an approach to lyrics the same way I have an approach to guitar playing, which is, this is what I need to do with my voice here. What can I sing that goes along with the theme of whatever the song is about or loosely about that is going to sound cool and Mm. is going to sound good and uh and and i can sing with confidence that's that's basically uh so um uh don't look we were talking about lyrics earlier and uh, aggressive lyrics and shit and like being able to uh, under once you understand what they're saying uh it's it's kind of corny or whatever do not look to our lyrics for any kind of like deep meaning of of or understanding of anything it's just mainly uh it's just whatever we need to to write to have fun with it okay that's i was uh gonna ask you like uh do you ever reference anything like political because it's just you know i asked that of you specifically just because yeah, yeah, you yeah. are so uh you know you're very active on twitter and always uh, referencing politics and the um yeah, or yeah. often and uh the you know where i know you from is the the aka king on uh daily zeitgeist and that's right, of course right. very political show so i mean i like before knowing you knew what your politics were um yeah and so do you ever like incorporate that stuff to any degree in your own lyrics it's i would say no and it's not because i have any policy you know it's not it's not like i'm doing it on purpose it's just when it comes to creating music or creating i will i will say this i have a very hard time being super earnest when it comes to creating art hmm. uh and that's a short coming on my part like i realize that the the you know the the great artists of our time um which is why i will never be one and i'm completely fine with that i enjoy making music and that's all i give a shit about is having a good time while i'm doing it but people that quote unquote have something to say that have something to say to the world i i can say that one on one if you ask me i'll tell you exactly what i feel about something putting it in a piece of art 
is something that I struggle to do because it just all feels corny to me. Hmm. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that it's a corny thing when other people that are really good at it do it. Uh, it's not corny at all. Me personally, I, I just get self-conscious about it. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. I don't know if this makes any sense. I second guess it. And then I'm like, I'm just going to write some cool sounding shit that I am going to lift from a Stephen King novel or something, <laughs> you know, or like, like that's, that's what I end up doing. And it's, it's also one of the things where, uh, if somebody hears something in those lyrics that they are getting from it that I didn't intend, but they can apply their own feelings or context to hell yeah that's awesome that makes me feel great um but it's not the author's intent to convey anything like that um again i'm just not good at it i i i I know that and that i think that is uh that makes people stronger musicians and start stronger creators as well knowing what they are good at and not good at Mm. uh and and i think everybody should always be striving to get better don't get me wrong you should challenge yourself and you should push yourself uh but when it comes to that i just uh uh I don't know. It's just not something that I, again, if I had, if I had hit the wave of listening to the type of music that you're referencing with like the political punk, uh, stuff, I might have a, a better understanding and feeling of, of what I wanted to say and how I could say it. But, uh, a lot of our music is like, we, we've been described as like, uh, Queens of the Stone Age meet ZZ Top type mm-hmm. of like like sound for bandolero which i it sounds cool as shit to me awesome fantastic. that's a that's a great description i think i even uh i can't remember i'd have to go back and listen to it i on like when i was like explaining y'all's music to um to my audience like in that first episode i yeah yeah, yeah. like I, I definitely referenced queens of the stone age i don't know who i, I it wasn't yeah. zz top wasn't the other one but it was something like that yeah yeah it's so uh, it's it's like one of those things where we're not we're not playing like super aggressive stuff we're like our, our sound isn't like super earnest or super like aggressive or super uh you know punk sounding or anything like that so a lot of the music i don't i don't feel like innately internally or viscerally that it like lends itself to writing like statements mm-hmm. uh kind of kind of thing if that makes sense um and and again that could just be my own insecurities about attempting it in the first place but yeah that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at with it i mean i think that uh that you knowing your genre or having a, a good sense of there's definitely something to be said for that. Like, you know, I, um, uh, like I was just during that when I was like in high school, I was in a punk band and I wrote all the songs and I, they were all like 90% of them were political. And yeah. then, um, I, and the ones that weren't were like, stupid juvenile bullshit about like I we had a song about suppositories which <laughs> I should bring that one back actually there's this one I've joked with my friend Max that uh one is I think the probably the second or third song we ever actually wrote together like with music in it was uh um it was called I want to poo my way through high school and um we uh I, I definitely want to bring that one back because I'm pretty sure that is the purest work of art I have ever touched in my life. So <laughs> that's, I, that's amazing. Um, but you know, I, that's so good. I like, uh, I totally see that when you're trying to write about politics, um, 
it's best to just like be really with anything. It's best to like let the inspiration take you where it's going to go. Like when uh, after like my the, the K-Max, which is like my main band for like 10 years, um, they uh, or we uh, probably like 25 percent of our songs were political, if that. And I have this like I haven't really written much in the past like five or six years. And I think when I look back on it, like the stuff I would write about where I write about uh, politics, but not quite as much recently. I think uh, the Obama era made things seem a little less dire, maybe, which right, was right. definitely a false sense of security. <laughs> um, and, you know, I wasn't really paying as much attention to politics, too, I don't think for a, a little bit there. But um yeah, like I now like I, I look back on the stuff I used to write about and it was all about like being heartbroken and wanting, you know, that was like the personal stuff and yeah, being yeah, yeah. sad about like life changing and, you know, the stuff like that. And it's like I've now been with uh, the same lady for like eight years now. And I feel like that's like part. Of, I don't I don't feel like I need to um like express my like inner turmoil in a way like I used to because it's just not right, there right. as much and then whenever I try to write political lyrics I've written so many like half songs where I have that same feeling that you do where it's like this is just like this sounds silly it sounds like I don't really feel like I'm saying anything interesting with this and I think that's what people who are like blanket statement I don't like political music usually it's like they're thinking about uh, either this is way too preachy or this is like Green Day American Idiot where this is like Shit. bottom shelf like simple easy bullshit you're saying the most obvious things possible mm -hmm. and I, I have a I have a policy on George Center as well where if I don't have something to say about it that hasn't already been said to death, I try to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if the topic gets brought up naturally, I'll, I'll make my statement on it. I'll say my piece. But am I going, is this going to be a good song in the first place? If the answer is no, or if I don't feel great about it, and then I'm trying to write lyrics about something that... Uh, has been said a million times by a million different people in a million better ways. I just, I'm not going to contribute anything to this, this area. You know, I'm just going to, I know, I know where my strengths lie and that's not one of them. So I don't want to force anything that's not there naturally. That doesn't just come, come to me uh, in, in a way that feels like it's not completely contrived. Yeah, the um, having I, what you were talking about earlier about like pulling from other uh, songs, it sounds like, you know, a, a really heavy focus on the musical elements uh, for y'all. And yeah, for, yeah. with me, with the, uh, the K-Max, we were a three piece most of the time we were a band. And with me, it was always like I write the songs and I don't really care about how musically interesting it is. I just bring mm -hmm. it to the rest of the band and they that just kind of happens with yeah, them coming let, up with their own their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, which I think is a good uh, policy, especially, you know, if you find the right people to work with. Um, yeah, no doubt. But uh, but yeah, I, I'll definitely take uh, I'd just be listening to a song that I really like. And, you know, that feeling if you write lyrics, you get it's like, God damn it. I wish I had come up with that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's something. That's, 
so that, perfectly. Honestly, like that's a lot of the reason why I avoid, not not avoid, but why I don't listen to a whole lot of new music is because every time I do, I'm like, God, these mother, these, <laughs> they are doing it so well and so easily, and it. I wish. Every everything that I hear, I'm just like, man, I wish I had written that. <laughs> I wish I had like come up with that that hook or or that that melody. Because that's another thing too is like we were talking about like going back and listening to things that we might not have had the critical ear for before. Playing in Bandolero, I wanted to play in a band that wasn't heavy, heavy in the way that I had been playing in for years before that because I wanted to be able to write things that were catchy and that had hooks to them. And let me tell you, that is hard to do. That is harder than just writing a heavy riff. I can sit down and hammer out a about 15, 20 minutes, a super heavy, like doomer stoner metal progression or riff and play it through enough distortion and tune down to B and it's going to sound demonic, right? Holy shit. B. Yeah, that's what that's what Beard of Antlers tunes to. Oh, uh, so, uh, so, but sitting down and writing something catchy that that is like upbeat and has a hook to it and sounds cool at the same time, that is hard to do. That is extremely hard to do. And then come up with a chorus that you don't feel like a complete doofus singing mm-hmm. at the top of your lungs. That's very difficult. It's so much harder than people understand. They toss away pop music. Uh, to the side as if it's just like built in a factory and stuff. And oftentimes there's a hundred people that work on one song and stuff. Uh, And I understand where people are coming from to a degree that does not negate the ability and the difficulty level of coming up with an earworm. Uh, They're super hard to do. And I wanted to play in a band that would come up like that. I could challenge myself in that regard of being able to to like write a hit, you know what a hit would sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it sounds silly, but I wanted to try it because I knew it was a lot harder than my younger self had ever given it credit uh, uh, for being. I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I have intentionally come up with something catchy, and that's yeah. like <laughs> one one reason it like uh, I feel like I just haven't written. I you know I think the fact that um, one thing that always like motivated me to keep or gave me some sense of like something to be going toward was like being in a band and knowing like I'm we're getting ready for we're always writing for a new EP. Yeah, um, yeah. and so that like gave me a little bit of structure for it, but. Like I, um, I think, uh, sorry, what was that? What was the last thing you said? Um, uh, uh shit. Uh, shoot. Uh, I had something I was going to say about songwriting. Oh, intentionally writing melodies. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Earworms or catches hooks. Yeah. yeah um, that, uh, I think that's like one of the biggest things that like made, has made their like gaps between my songwriting is that, uh, I, if I, whenever I try to come up with something catchy, it's just, I can't do it. And then like, I I have to have at least one catchy element of the song in place before I feel like it's worth doing anything with. Yeah. It's worth investing the uh, amount of time it takes to structure an entire, entire song. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally that, and it's something that, uh, I don't know if there's any kind of like 
method to it or something. I've never really heard like anybody talk about like, this is how you write something catchy. It's almost like it's just this mysterious magical thing that just happens as a byproduct of you trying to make something good. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, we've been going for we have. yeah, we like have. Uh, almost two hours now. Which I hope <laughs> people listening. Um, there was something I was going to say a minute ago to people listening. Uh, the uh, oh, for tuning to B, y'all. That's that's heavy. Um, <laughs> it's real if heavy. You're, if you're not <laughs> yeah. a musician, then you know, like I, I actually just recently listened to the uh, Propagandi singer has a kind of storytelling podcast where he does uh like he'll <clears throat> go over one of their songs talk about the context of it and like oh, what the lyrics cool. are about that's and cool. stuff yeah it's really really good um and uh he uh it's called um uh catastrophic break with consensus reality um <laughs> let's check it out but it uh there was um uh this recent episode was about a song they had in drop C or in, I guess it's called drop C. I always thought drop C was you're just tuning everything down the way that you would in drop D, except it's all oriented toward the C, but that's not what it is. Right. Like the way he was talking about it, I was like, wait, so is drop C that's like, um, everything is tuned to, standard and then you're you're actually dropping the e string to a c sharp i guess so is that what it I, is uh. i the fact that it's it's drop c i would think that is just tuning the the e string down with the rest of it in standard i think is that what you're saying yeah i think that's what it's uh but it's not drop c is not uh unless you tune a half step down like i've always done um is uh it's it's actually does too yeah yeah, that i mean you know if you you have trouble with getting certain notes out and stuff that's a great way to do it um and yeah i i don't know i just uh i like uh, propagandi is a uh, just like a weird band. So I, I thought, and you know, they're always trying to like do things in like the most creative way. And yeah, so yeah. I, I just thought like maybe it was some kind of weird thing, but then I, I posted, um, in like a message board about it and somebody was like, yeah, that's what drop C is. I was like, holy, like that's what people mean when they're, and if you try it, it's actually, it's pretty fun, uh, to, you know, just a different tuning and it's, it's yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really oriented toward, uh, playing in C sharp minor. So it's like, you could kind of like be like your, uh, you know, play like you're in the key of like E major and then, it, you know, get the relative minor major thing going on. And it's like just that you wouldn't think that, uh, a different tuning would like, inspire you or like make things uh, bring new ideas to you but it's something i've always done not really with different tunings but like i play a lot of different instruments like i play banjo ukulele uh, guitar bass and piano and i but i only play those as like songwriting tools you know and it's like i think that's people uh, you know if i sit down at piano i can't do anything impressive but uh it's um, I write songs on piano though, you know, and I think that's like kind of, it's just like changing the context. Maybe that's the theme of this episode. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, so what is that? You tuned to B though. What, what, what's going on there? 
Uh, so Beard of Antlers, it's like a doom stoner metal band, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we we tuned to, to B standard. Um, so I play bass in that band and, and do some of the vocals, uh, and it's just low and slow. It's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the the mantra. We have a couple songs that kind of pick up a little bit, but. Um, it's, it's fun. We've been playing forever and, uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's the tuning we chose. Um, we just wanted to write, um, uh, super slow, heavy riffs. Um, and, and, uh, it works out, you know, Dan and Vic are both in that band, um, from George Center and they are incredible musicians. And so that's what they told me to tune to. So that's what I tuned to. Well, hell yeah. I'll have to try that too. I <laughs> yeah. actually, I have a, um, like super heavy strings on my SG right now. Uh, and I, I discovered this thing, the wound third string, like a G string, uh, getting that in, uh, as, as a wound string instead of the, you know, not having the yeah, wraparound yeah, yeah. on it. Like if you look for guitar, uh, strings that have the, um, wound third on the package, it's okay. like that issue with the fucking G string going out of tune all the time and, and sounding weird a lot of times, like it fixes that and it makes it harder to like solo on that string, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's bad. It was a game changer. Huh? I've, Um, I've, I did not realize that was even a thing to be um, honest with you. Yeah. It's my cool shit. Old guitar player from, you know, my best friend, he just told me about it like earlier this summer and I'm all about it now. But, um, the uh, I'm trying to tie up loose end here. Yeah, yeah. yeah King King Eight Ten. Have you ever heard that band? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Um, they are a this and um. I don't want to like you know pull you into. I mindful of your time. I don't want to pull you into no, another no, thing. But good. um, the uh something that and we'll get in talking about this. I guess um because one of the things that I do uh like kind of try to orient the show around is talking about like political art and right. how that and that was not really a thing I had in mind when I on the first episode um and uh so but it's kind of winds up there a lot of times anyway and in fact I'm thinking about starting like spinning off and starting another podcast where it's just me interviewing people or having conversations with people about like one specific political song each episode yeah, yeah. um you know do them like shorter and more often or something like that but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. my idea for, what do you think about this idea for a title musique politique I like it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I like it. Uh, that's what I'll go with then. Uh, if it's got your stamp of approval, then it's good. Hell yeah. Hell um, yeah. But uh, so, the- so you take a, a, a slice of political art and kind of break down that on each episode. So, uh, and and I, obviously, there's plenty to pull from from the musical world. So, if music is in the title, mm. I guess it would be primarily about musical like political music but if you did kind of broaden it out i mean there's so like like political pieces of art throughout the centuries uh you would have like such a breadth of of options to choose from if you kind of kept it like a you know a little little broader yeah and that's uh, that's kind of the idea is that since music is like my main shit i probably will wind up talking about that more than anything but definitely would want to bring people in to talk about like films and you know like I just saw Nope this past weekend, and it was like, you know, obviously ah, yeah. Jordan Peele's stuff and uh, the more political stuff, what, where it, it where there's a misfire and where there's not and that kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. then I think um, 
the the really political communication through music can be done really well. But I think the really interesting stuff to talk about is like where something is political without really being political. Um, right. And uh, a, a big example of that, you know, that's I, I have uh, obviously I think people should be able to make whatever kind of art they want. And I think that a lot of it's that old man shit again. Um, and gangster rap has been around for long enough. I think that uh, we know it's not like necessarily doing the damage people thought it was going to do. Right. Um, and and that's, you know, uh, gangster rap is an interesting one because it's like it's a ref- it's not political oftentimes, but it's like this is a reflection a depiction of what life is like in places where they're like a lot of white people will not step foot you know yeah yeah and and it's like you're uh i think that's like one of the big things that gangster rap did was like this thing that nobody is that that you have the luxury of not paying attention to of uh this violence and the you know terrible shit going on in some of these communities um you put it over a beat and you uh you bring some some uh uh some incredible wordplay to it and suddenly white people are paying attention to it mm-hmm. and uh the vast majority of those white people consuming it it's going to go in one ear and out the other and they're just going to have a good time listening to it but uh whether they realize it or not they're hearing like slice of life stuff from exactly what you're talking about um, from a world that they don't ever have to experience and aren't uh, subjected to the pitfalls of and the uh, the way the system has been rigged it, they're, they're exposed to the other side of the system that's rigged in their favor mm-hmm. um, so if it's if the system is rigged in one person's favor that means naturally and by default it's rigged against somebody else mm-hmm. um, uh, unfortunately uh, the way this system works at least uh, th- yeah. th- this system is very much a, a zero-sum game um, now there's lots of different uh, political uh, systems and and uh, ideas where you don't have to play the zero sum game, but unfortunately, uh, there is a cost to um, having an advantage in in our world, for the most part. And yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, gangster rap and and trap and and just uh, uh, just rap and hip hop in general, showing you uh, life and 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 using that art to to. Uh, get people to understand the realities of over-policing and police brutality and the drug game and what it means to actually, like, try to provide for your family when it's dangerous as hell to walk out your front door. Uh, it's scary shit. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it did, it did more for probably people understanding that aspect of, of a American uh, culture, uh, than, than anything else has. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, the, there's a, there's a question in there about like, uh, how is this doing any kind of like damage to the glorification and stuff of, uh, the violence and, and the lifestyle. Um, I, I would say, I guess like my reaction to that is like, you know, of course, fucking Tipper Gore type shit. Like, the the thing that you get mad at is the end result of right. like this like right. a- artistic expression about like the end result 
of all the shit that you don't want to do anything to fix. Right. Um, right. And so you're just going to try to police the the final kind of like byproduct of all that shit, uh, which right. happens to be in many cases really, really good art. And um, I, I guess like the reason because I work with kids and like I live in okay, I'm dox myself here a little bit. I try not to really say exactly where I live. I'm in South Georgia right. in the city with by far the highest murder rate in Georgia and like the 10th highest in the country. Right. Um, and uh, so my girlfriend is working with kids who with like gun charges and stuff often like 12, 13 year old kids and shit. And a lot of the, you know, they'll say to her, like, I just like, I don't mind going to prison or I stole this car or whatever, because I need, I want to be a rapper and I need street cred. Like they'll literally just say that to her. And it's like, well, I, and I don't know like where to put that with, you know, um, because I'm definitely not going to adopt a, Oh, gangster rap is evil kind of attitude. Right. But I feel like, somewhere I there has to be a way to especially because I'm interacting with these kids like to communicate that I think whether uh gangster rap existed or not those kids aren't making those decisions it's a convenient scapegoat in the moment that these kids are having these conversations with your with your girlfriend um I do not think it is the cause of this stuff. I think, uh, for the most part, I think this genre of music is basically reporting. Mm -hmm. It is actually like a, it's, it's like a enter it into the historical record as far as documenting the, uh, the, the, uh, things in which these, uh, groups of people have to experience on the regular. Um, I do think, uh, as with everything, you know, I think every, the, nobody consumes any of this stuff in a vacuum. So has, have people, have kids done stupid shit as a, you know, because they were influenced by art? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any way to, to avoid that, but it is all a result of a system that, uh, creates the problems in the first place in which they they want to get that street cred. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it is it's policing the the end result rather than the thing causing the end result. It's it's addressing that and saying, well if we just stop the the if we just stop this this end result over here, then it will somehow work its way back up. That's not how anything works. You have to address like uh, poverty and living conditions and stuff way, 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 way before uh, you get to uh, punishing a 14 year old for a stupid decision that he made because we were all 14 at one time making varying degrees of stupid ass decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for whatever reason we needed to justify it in our heads. Yeah. Um, lots of kids from all sorts of backgrounds do wildly stupid shit. And whether it's, I need this street cred to become a rapper or I did it because my friends told me it was a good idea. Like it's still the same decision-making of a 14 year old, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's like, and in one situation we go, well, that's just peer pressure at that age. And of course he's like, he has piss poor decision-making He's 14 damn years old at the other one. We look at it and we go, Oh, it's this music causing this. We need to take a stance against it. Uh, it's, it's very easy to condemn one 
uh, over the other because there's an art form that talks about it that these kids might listen to. Well, these dudes over here that do the stupid shit and get in trouble, these other 14-year-olds, they may have been watching Jackass or they may have been watching, you know, like a, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, some movie or some shit uh, that influenced them just as much and made them think that this was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's... Uh, there's so many other factors involved where I don't think you can easily lay it at the feet of any of this, any of this artwork. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I agree with that. Um, and I, uh, I guess I'm, uh, thinking about it more lately in a way that, uh, I never would have even acknowledged the, that it could have like any kind of negative effect in any sort of short term, uh, or any, um, like immediate kind of way. And it's like, I don't, I don't, necessarily like not believe that anymore or whatever but it's just that uh you know just trying to think of it with a little more nuance i mean yeah no 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 doubt i completely understand and not not to i'm i absolutely uh don't mean to steamroll uh your your uh assessment of it and just like oh no 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 yeah, like no. uh uh kind of analyzing <laughs> the fact that you hear this it's like you have to you have to make a decision every time you hear these stories uh you know from your girlfriend or saying like this is what this kid told me and it's like how am I supposed to think about that? Like I'm hearing directly, like this kid is saying this, like, uh, uh, yeah, you have to, you have to make a, a judgment call each time you hear that stuff and kind of decide, uh, how to, how to feel about any of this shit. So, and you know, come to think of it, I mean, neither of us are experts on hip hop or gang Hell violence no. or any of that stuff. So, uh, if that would be though, now that I think about it a good, like I should find someone specifically who would be like a really good yeah, person to talk yeah, about yeah. that. No Cause doubt, it's no an doubt. interesting topic. And, um, I, I, I think the reason it came to mind, I brought up that band, uh, King 810. That is like one of my, I can call it a guilty pleasure. Maybe, uh, it's super fucking heavy. And I mean, like you just, the headphone, you know, put on some good headphones and like, just feel the, the heaviness is, yeah, it's yeah. great. And, but their, uh, lyrics and their like whole aesthetic, they're a bunch, I'm sure this is not, it could be scary to people, but it's like. They're a bunch of white dudes with guns and shit. And (laughs) there it's like in all their music videos and stuff. But their songs are about, you know, growing up in like extreme poverty. They're from like, you know, some city in Ohio that's like got the Mm -hmm. highest crime and poverty rate of like anywhere in the country. And, um, you know, just happens to be like a mostly white area. But it's same kind of conditions, you know, very similar thing. It's just like they're using super heavy metal music to communicate the gang violence, poverty, and all the issues that they have. Um, and in that context, coming from white people, it's like, I think it's like scary I, for obvious reasons. White people with guns, you just never a good look. But um, I think uh, also it makes, it's like, yeah, this, this stuff that used to be the domain of just maybe like some old Appalachian music or something like that. Yeah, but then, yeah, you know, yeah. gangster rap. Now it's like people see that and it's like, oh, you know, the the shit is comes to marginalized groups first. But, you know, all working people eventually, you know, the uh, the bad conditions come come for us. I get, I'll give you an idea for a, a subject you should absolutely explore uh, down the road sure. is the um, the similarities, the deep similarities between uh, poor urban genres of music and poor 
uh, rule genres of music, your uh, country, the violence that uh, is written about, the conditions that are written about, um, the uh, figuring out a way to make it, um, uh, you know, uh, provide for your family, the, 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 like, rap about these subjects and country about these subjects um they're two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. um they're absolutely there's so much in common there uh you should absolutely do an episode of that podcast you're talking about and explore that fuck yeah no that's a great idea yeah. i mean that uh i did a report on um hank williams senior when i was in college and uh that one of the things in the book I read about him was like uh, that he learned to play guitar from a black blues musician yeah, as yeah. a little kid. And um, yeah, so and that you could just see those come from the same. It's gotten so like corporate now that country, you know, modern country is like all geared toward people who live in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of uh, rap and, and stuff is sure, too. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of that stuff. It, it, it once once it becomes as popular as it does, it uh, transforms into a uh, more watered down, uh, palatable version of itself. That's the same thing with with uh you know with with rock and roll. Same thing with with a lot of like pop punk. Yeah, um, punk. They happened yeah, big yeah, time it, with punk. Yeah, in the exactly. 90s, yeah. Like all, every genre goes through this, mm. and then. You have the backlash to that um, that spurs subgenres of music, and then you have waves. It's it's all a pendulum swing. It, everything in in our society is a pendulum swing and a reaction to a reaction to a reaction to a reaction, so on and so forth, until you get to the very beginning of whatever genre you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, that you know, uh, kind of theme with a lot of the stuff we've talked about, a lot of stuff you've said uh, during this chat is like uh, that. Well, besides the um, the context thing, like that we you don't get too bent out of shape about things changing, you know, and and, or, you know, a new something new being introduced to you or whatever. Like uh, and I don't know, I just think uh, we we tend to um, overblow things in a way that, uh, overblow like any kind of changes. And especially just when it comes to like cultural stuff or whatever. Oh, that, we love, like, we love reacting to stuff, boy. <laughs> yeah. we, we love it. It's our favorite thing in the world. It's like, uh, I, when you see like people who are, even if they're not like, uh, expressly or explicitly, uh, like white nationalists or whatever, like people who are like concerned about, the fact that America is going to be a minority white country in the next sure, 50 years sure. or whatever. It's like, I mean, f- why would you give a shit about, besides the fact that it's racist and everything, it's just like, don't you know that you're going to die eventually? Like, why do you fucking care? The moment, the moment you bring it up, you are telling on yourself. <laughs> oh yeah. Like just, <laughs> just, that's just the, the moment that concern comes out of your mouth. You've admitted to something, whether you realize it or not. Mm. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. I have got to pee sure. so bad. And I so I, bad. I should really go and do some <laughs> grading and crap. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm no, sorry, no, no. Hoss. Uh, thank you so much for joining. I was going to try to like, you know, wrap it up soon anyway, because uh, we've been doing this for two hours now. So that'll yeah, you know, yeah, be yeah. a good special episode. Um, Heck yeah. Thanks so much for joining me today, Christy Yamaguchi, man. I'll say my all pleasure. your stuff uh, in the intro, but go ahead and give give your pluggables. 
Uh, so you can find me on uh, Twitter at Wapple House, W-A-P-P-L-E-H-O-U-S-E. Um, and you can follow me there. You can listen to Jort Center, um, uh, like Sports Center, but uh, with five dudes wearing jorts <laughs> on Saturday mornings. Um, uh, and I poorly explained it towards the beginning of this episode so if you've made it this far um, it's just we, we talk about whatever we want to each week um, uh, and it's just supposed to be a naturally flowing conversation and it's with four of the uh, funniest um, uh, sincerest dudes that I know I love them all they're good friends have been good friends of mine for a long time uh, so, and you can tell that I think it really comes across in, in the episodes how long we've known each other um, so give that a listen if you're so inclined and that's pretty much it I think just George Center and follow me on Twitter if you want and and that's that's pretty much all I'm doing well hell yeah is um I uh, Wapple House. That was something I remember wanting to ask you about. Where, where does that come from with the replacing uh, the Fs with the Ps? So I got banned off of Twitter. Um, my original handle was Crispy Meme Donut. And uh, then I decided to come up with another food related uh, uh, Twitter handle. And uh, WAP was real popular at the time mm. uh, by Megan the Stallion and, <laughs> and okay. Cardi B. So I just uh, I went with Wapple House and it just stuck. And that's what everybody knows me as now. Damn, I didn't make that connection. I, I I ask because my dad calls Waffle House Waffle House. So oh yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, but it's a natural natural thing. Um, well, uh, again, thanks so much, Mister Yamaguchi Main. Um, and, my pleasure. Uh, my I'll, pleasure. Thanks for having me, Hoss. I'll see you on the tweets, and I'll uh, let you know when this is posted. Probably in the next two weeks or so. Hell yeah, sounds good, man. All right, man. Appreciate it again. Thank you. Thank you, and have a wonderful night. Later, dog. Peace. Oh, Andrew Tate. Yeah. Before anybody else does. Andrew Tate. We're really buried the lead this week talking about all this bullshit. It's not sexy. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. Not sexy enough. Ding. As the great Mark Wahlberg said, I figured some shit out. I figured some shit, I figured some shit out. As the great Mark Wahlberg said, I want a jigsaw puzzle. jigsaw puzzle. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. It's not sexy enough. You can edit this out. You can edit this out. Edit this out. It is not sexy. Not sexy enough. responsible for that.
I would like to see the baby. That was that was quite a doozy there. Uh, that was a, that was a great episode, and I want to thank Mr. Uh, Yamaguchi Main for for uh, taking the time to schedule with me and, and do the chat and everything. It was wonderful, wasn't it? Um, so go follow him at Wapple House, W-A-P-P-L-E House uh, on Twitter. You know, I'm Haas underscore Bossman or Haas Bossman on all the crap. Uh, just go to www.haas.fun for all your Haas needs. And I've got so much stuff. My YouTube channel, go check that out too because, you know, that uh, doesn't get as much love as the podcast. And it's arguably more work, even though I spend a lot more time doing the podcast. I don't know what I'm talking about. I love you. And, uh, oh, we're going to play out with uh, a Bandolero song, as we did on the first couple episodes. This one is called Wolves. And actually, I might have used this one in, uh, I didn't use it on the first one, but I might have used this one in um, maybe one of his episodes in the past. But I love this song, so that's the one we're going to do. And uh, I also love you. And, um... I hope you have a wonderful day. Keep your eyes peeled for and in the next like week or two. I'm going to come out with a solo episode with more just like crap. Oh, and how could I forget? Don't forget to flood the soul of every sentient being you encounter with healing light. Love you. Out of the river
Come on over here. 